Second Timothy chapter two, if you have your Bibles. Again, a very exciting uh, sign. Looks great. Parking lot looks really good. And so, moving forward in getting this place in good shape for the revival that we're going to have. Thank God. Hallelujah. Second Timothy chapter two. They say. There's a, uh, in order, the way to catch a chimpanzee, I don't know if you've ever heard this. It's a classic little example of how people work, or, or it's because humans would be much the same. What they do is they make a box that is small enough for the chimp to get their hand through, and in that box will be some candy, some sweets, I don't know, maybe a banana. If, uh, whatever it is, and they'll put their hand up into it. And when they grab it and make a fist, they now can't get their hand out of it. And they, they can literally approach that animal and capture it because it will not let go. Probably the closer, funnier one that you can think of when you think about this is if you've ever seen a golden retriever with a big stick in its mouth trying to go through a door. But people are much the same. And in the text we're going to read, it says that one of the dangers is entangling yourselves in other things. And that is a way to catch a a chimpanzee. It is also a way to catch people's hearts. And I want to just minister on a good soldier this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, just on through verse 4. Paul writes to this young pastor in the faith. He says, endure sufferings along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier does not get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Let's talk about the danger of getting tied up in wrong things. It's May, and somewhere around May, I believe there's an international imp somewhere that has a job in life to go and entangle your Christmas lights that you put away so carefully last December or January that when you take them out of the box, now they are going to be entangled, twisted, and it's going to take you 25, 30 minutes to get them untangled when you thought you did it so neatly. And I'm convinced because there's an imp that roams the earth and his job is to tangle up Christmas lights. But that's the picture here, getting all twisted and entangled, not having the freedom or the liberty or literally the purpose for what uh, you were created for. Adam Clark says it is a well remarked by the Grotus on this passage that legendary or legionary soldiers among the Romans were not to to be permitted in things like marriage. Merchandise or entrepreneurship, mechanical employments, or anything that would be inconsistent with their calling. If you have children, especially 
young girls who have long hair, you know what it's like that when their hair gets all tangled up and you've got to slowly try to help them get it out and there's only really two options. You either have to go through it, it's a little painful, or you have to cut it out. And that's always the worst option. That's the picture here. The tendon, something that would slow you down, something that would hinder you from being used for the original purpose to what God has for your life. There are lots of good-hearted people. It is said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not an issue of a heart's desire. He will say all the time, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, well, he does. And he also said the heart's desperate and wicked and who can know it. But the other point of that is you've tangled yourself up. And although you may have a good heart, it's hard to get free. Sometimes it's because like the chimpanzee, we won't let go. Things that can hinder that aren't necessarily sin. The desire to want and want and want and get yourself in unsustainable debt that causes people all sorts of problems. That now it's not the Lord Jesus, it's, the, it's, you know, it's your master, it's now the bank is your master card. There's other things that can begin to hinder. Jesus used this example of, of money or wealth or desire of things in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for they will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money or in the King James mammon which was the Syrian word given to the idolatry of the God of riches. There's things that will hinder you. And the danger is the lure of the thing that's not wrong. Now, there's no doubt if you think, well, it's the will of God for me to be rich, so I'm going to go rob the bank, and then you end up doing prison time, because I guess you now want a prison ministry. But uh, that is, that's wrong. We wouldn't know, oh, of course that's wrong. That's going to hinder you, you know what, from being what God wants to, for your life. Adultery is definitely going to hinder you from being blessed. But the picture here of being entangled is literally the snap of a trap, the bait of a trap. To be entangled or literally ensnared by that. That would trap us and keep us away from what God has for us. 2 Peter 2 verse 20. And when the people who have escaped the wickedness of the world by the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then get entangled and enslaved by sin again. They are worse off than they were before. Every backslider you know, the, the kind of the blessed ignorance of being just a sinner is, has a, a sin comes with all the guilt and shame and all of that that's by its nature. But then it's 
added on to when you're a backslider by the knowledge of the Word of God. My wife was sharing again uh, just recently on how when she was backslidden, she was deathly afraid of the rapture. And she would come home and sometimes, and this is before cell phones and before all that, and her parents wouldn't be home and she would be like, oh no, did the rapture happen? She'd get up in the middle of the night, she'd think, oh, the rapture's happened. Rather than check in her parents' room, she'd check on her little sister. Right? That torment added to the weight of sin and bad decisions will weigh on us. And so the thought there of being worse off than before, it's one thing to be an ignorant sinner. It's another to come with the knowledge that, you know what, this is really not good before God. And I know the end of this. But there's always the lore. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. The King, New King James, he has loved this present world. The world has a, a lure. Paul says that we should live in this world, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, without abusing the world or literally letting the world own us. And that's the lure of Christians. This is how churches fall backwards in time. They want uh, either things or public acceptance. And in social media days, people are all worried about being canceled. 1 John 2 15 and 16, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the love of the world is only the craving for physical pleasure, the craving for everything we see, and the pride of our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And what he's warning us in this text, he's writing to a pastor, he's writing to a young man. I don't believe he's thinking just in the long, in terms of the line that, you know what, fentanyl will ruin your ministry. I don't think he's thinking along those lines that, you know what, if you're doing gross, that's, that's going to create its own problems. But he's writing along the thought of being entangled or having the world have a hold on you. That's the danger. James writes and he says, Don't you realize that friendship of the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you don't want to be a, uh, if you want to be a friend of this world, you will make yourself an enemy of God. And in the text, he's pulling out, Paul is pulling out to this young man the thought of a soldier. There's, my father joined the Navy when he was 18 years old. And he realized very quickly that he was simply government property now. That's what he was. U.S. government property. Right? They, they give you a dream sheet. They'll say, hey, where do you want to go in the world? And you fill it out and they put you wherever they want anyway. It's kind of the allure of the, uh, you know, of the recruiting officers. Oh, you can see the world. <laughs> you know, he ended up, he, he worked in the engine room of, a, of an aircraft carrier. He was a nuclear, he went on to become a nuclear engineer because of it. 
And, you know, it was, he said it was always telling who was in the engine room because all these guys would get off the ship. And, of course, they're on the flight deck. This was an aircraft carrier. They're on the flight deck. They're all getting sun all day. They're all burned and red. And here come the guys out of the engine room, glow in the dark. Uh, you know, they've got no sun, no, nothing. And, he, he, you know, I get my fair skin from him. And so uh, it was obvious he, he didn't get to the deck that much. Right? They were all under, he, see the world? Yeah, they, no, he got to see a, you know, a 12 by 12 room. And so often this is kind of what happens. That God's desire is that you do not get engaged or entangled by other things. Because we are in a spiritual war. And he's bringing this out, the reality of the spiritual war. He's not saying that having things is wrong. He's not saying, oh, you know, don't own a house, don't own cars, don't, get, you know, don't have any debt. Don't, you know, if you, if you have payments, that's one thing. Debt's another. And so, when you get entangled or divided hearts, it really affects you. U.S. Embassy, when we were in Lithuania, was very, you know, State Department is another realm. It's a whole other world. And, you know, uh, we need the people who work for the State Department and such. I uh, one time saw a documentary of the underlings of the Secretary of State, and these, the, these two underlings had been on the Middle East under five different presidents. Republicans and Democrats. It was, you know, all of that. They, so they were the ones who really do the groundwork. But most State Department people in embassies are transferred every two to three years. We were in, in Lithuania about 11 years, and we went through numbers of cycles of, of the entire embassy changing out. People coming and going And the reason why they do that is they don't want people to begin to feel sympathetic for the country that they're they're serving in. It becomes very easy. I mean, Lithuania, it's not the greatest place to live. It probably doesn't reach the top 100. But it's still, you know, you could feel bad for the people. They've been oppressed. They've been beat up by their big neighbors to the... West and East for years and decades and centuries, and they've had all these troubles, and on it goes, you know. And so it'd be easy to kind of feel a little compassion and, and put this interests of the United States a little bit aside. Not in treason, not in flipping, becoming a spy like Aldra James or any one of those kinds of notorious names of history. But it's the thought of the focus of what we're involved in. They're there to represent the interests of the United States, period. It's not a question whether they agree with policies or not. We got invited. Lithuania is six time zones from here. So we got invited to a breakfast at the American library or whatever it was called. What was it called? American Center for something. And uh, 
they were, it was election morning. It was Wednesday morning there. It was Tuesday night here, and they were going to declare the president. And it was when George Bush won his re-election, but they all voted. You know, they did a little mock election, and there were mostly Democrats there. And they were like, oh, well, they had to represent, whether they liked it or not, the Republican president and his policies. The term here of warfare is used in the middle voice. It's literally to serve in a military campaign. It is the thought of to contend with an enemy. It's 1939, September 1st, Adolf Hitler and the German army invaded Poland. Out of that, France and England declared war on Germany, but for seven months, nothing happened. Seven months, the French and the English did nothing. And what that did was allow Germany's armies to set up on the Western Front and drive through France in less than a month. The disaster at Dunkirk, the British had to pull out, and then the war was on. Had they attacked Germany when they declared war, it might have been a different thing, but they were engaged in other things. That's the picture here. That we're talking about the battles of the world, the flesh and the devil, that are real. 1 Timothy 1.18, my son, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic word spoken about you earlier, that they may help you well in the Lord's battles. And it's hard to fight when you're torn between two lovers and acting like a fool which is an old, old, bad song. When you're trying to win the world and God in your heart, when, there's, when you say, Jesus is in my heart, but so is covetousness. I've got God in my heart, but so is bitterness. So is lust or greed or whatever it might be. Because you're eventually going to feed what's in your heart. You're going to feed it. John 16.33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.31, those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For the world, as we know it, is soon passing away. The danger there is that what the grab is for the heart. To entangle yourself in can affect your heart. I'll give you a personal illustration that I know some of you are sick of hearing, but, you know, moving here. The bills were always the arch enemy. It's hard not to admire them now. Hard not to say, 
Yeah, not bad. I wouldn't have done that from Arizona. Definitely wouldn't have done it from Massachusetts. But here, yeah, you just, yeah, whatever. So the way that you do this is Paul is saying, get on the front line. You got to fight on the front line. Engage. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. See, when people are missing, it's because their hearts are somewhere else. When they don't come to church, it's like, hmm, their hearts are somewhere else. I understand people are sick. I understand people work. I understand people travel. I get that. There's some people who just, yeah, it's a holiday weekend. This can be true in the things of God. Prayer, tithing, Bible reading. Heart somewhere else. It's not that they don't read, don't talk, don't spend money. A thick book on the invasion Pearl Harbor was simply entitled At Dawn We Slept. True confession, I have it. I've never gotten through it because it is really long. But the premise of the book is we knew Japan was on the move. We knew their Six months later, you know, the, they had signed a pact with Germany and Italy, creating the access in June of 1941. We knew they were on the move. We knew they had ambitions for the Philippines and Australia and Indonesia. They had expansionists. They were already in China. They were already in Korea. They were on their way to India. They had taken over Burma. They had taken over Tibet. We knew they had expansionary visions. But rather than pay attention, the book's premise and title, At Dawn We Slept. And that's why we missed, and to this day it is considered probably one of the most successful sneak attacks in history. The idea is to, the devil wants to get us distracted. The glitz of the world, the ease of the lure of our own desires and flesh. The things that may entice you may not entice and I'm, uh, me or someone else. Things that may be what I need to be on guard may not affect you at all. Philippians 3.13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to that which lies ahead, the singleness of heart. And in our text, Paul gives us that key for the singleness of heart. He brings out in our text, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for the soldier does not get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, For then they cannot please the officer 
of them who enlisted them. Paul's focus was to please God. To please the one who had saved him. To make him happy. That's the concern that Paul had, the focus. He says, you know what, a soldier getting all tangled up in these things, the lure of that takes us away from pleasing God. The good news is you can please God. Religion teaches that, you know, the best you can do is appease Him. Kind of just get Him to not notice you. Don't, like, make too many waves, too many requests, too many of this. Just leave Him alone and He'll leave you alone. But God says, I can be pleased. Hebrews tells us of a man named Enoch. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, For it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For he was taken up, for he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. Enoch had a testimony he pleased God. Faith. God's going to help us. His testimony pleased God. Lifestyle. That he was out to make God happy. If you've ever been in a relationship, it's one of the things that kind of blows people's minds is now there's someone who wants to make you happy. Starts with parental, child, but God takes notice of people who want to please Him. Luke 3.22 and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended upon Him like a dove. And a voice was hev- from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you are bringing me great joy. Other translations, This is my lo- beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, your life does bring God joy. He, he is delighted. You believed. You're here on a Sunday morning. That's a good move. He's, he notes that. But the danger is that the world wants to seal us away. That's the real danger. Romans 8, 8, and that's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. We have to want to please God. Develop a lifestyle. Make decisions that say, God, I'm pleased with you. And you be pleased with me. I'm looking through old Sunday school series of Pastor Mitchell's, and there was one that was very interesting. It was simply called, God is love, but he hates, dot, dot, dot. And it was the seven things out of Proverbs which God says, I hate. The aim to please God. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already. We are encouraging you to do it so even more. To that verse, I can say to this congregation, yea and amen. Just encouraging you to even do it more. Colossians 1.10 For in this way you ought to live as will always honor and please the Lord. And then your lives will produce every kind of good fruit all the while as you grow and learn to know God better and better. 1 John 3.22 And we receive this that whatsoever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. Uh, We will receive whatever things we ask because we obey and do the things that please Him. God's in heaven. He can be pleased. And this is what Paul is painting the picture as. You can have a life that pleases God. But the danger is to get entangled. The danger is not being the good soldier fighting the fight. Every one of us going to face the flesh. Every one of us is going to face the glitter of the world. Every one of us is going to face the devil or his minions. That comes in life. That's just part of the package. But you can still make decisions that please God in the midst of those. And that's the glorious, glorious promise that we have here. God is interested in letting you be his child that he delights in. That's a miracle. John, 1 John 3, 1, and I close with this. Behold, what manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. What a glorious, glorious opportunity you and I have to serve God and to please Him. And it's not impossible. God says, you, you, I'm, I'm pleased. You're, already, you're not fighting just to get to a place where God's not mad at you. He's already not mad at you. All the wrath, all the penalty for the sins we committed was upon Jesus. And the glorious hope and wonder of the gospel is that you and I can experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God if we'll simply receive Him as our Lord and Savior. You can have a life. Well, you don't know what I've done. Well, I guess it's sin as you're embarrassed and ashamed of, but you know what? So is everyone else in here. Have those. The difference would be between you and a Christian is that they're forgiven. Not that they were perfect. Not that they never sinned. But that God forgave them. Just as He wants to forgive you. And if you're here tonight, this morning, you're not right with God, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to get my heart right with Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I want to know what it is to be forgiven. Would you pray for me this morning? I want to know what Jesus is. I want to turn from my sins. I want to invite him in my heart. 
very quickly, slip up your hand, say, pray for me. I want to get my heart right with God. Maybe you're backslidden away from God. You once prayed a prayer, but you turned away. And you want to come back to Jesus very quickly. Slip up your hand. I'm not going to hold this much longer. You want, you want prayer this morning, just slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need Jesus. I need to get my heart right with God very quickly. We're going to move on in just a moment. To the Christian, it's an encouraging text. It's actually not, you know, you could preach this in a hard way, I suppose, but it's actually Paul is just giving this young man a, a warning that is one good that if he gets the warning, we can take it too. But the, gl- the glitz and the entanglement, sometimes, like the chimpanzee, to be free, you need to let go and easily walk away. Holding on is just holding us back. And there's some things that we'll hold on to that God just says, just put them aside. Let me help you. I want to help you. I will help you. But you got to let it go. Let's all stand for just a moment. We're going to open up these altars. Allow people to talk to God. I'm going to sing a song, worship His name. This... an altar Lord I want to see your face Take me into the home.
Let's give him praise. Let's worship him. Father, we love you. God, we glorify your name and exalt you.